Uh, I'm not gonna lie, I couldn't think of anything funny to start with. Uh, because this episode... <laughs> <laughs> Done. I feel better now, <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Re-Engage, the weekly podcast where we watch and discuss episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Our cultural bridge officers dissect each episode, as well as the pop culture and world events that took place when it first aired. We're a bunch of Gen X adults returning to the series we loved as kids to see how it holds up. So join us as we re-engage. My name is Kate Yeager. I am your host for this evening for The Defector. Of course, I say it's the evening. I don't know what time of day you're listening to this. I don't know your life. You do you. Uh, Oh, look. Greg Tito is laughing at me. Hi, Greg. How are you? Hi, Kate. I am, uh, you know, hanging in there as much as we can with what's happening in the world. It seems our winter episodes always have things happening in them when we're recording them. Yes, yes. You'll note I didn't do a a funny intro uh, because I just, my heart is heavy and I'm not feeling it. Uh, And this episode is a heavy episode. Uh, So Just wait until I get to all the history. I know, right? But there's some really good pop culture that has happened. So I'm excited to talk about that. Uh, But before I do, I'm going to say hi to Mr. Eric Gratton. Hi, Eric. How are you? Kate. Kate, I'm having existential crisis because since you started talking about this episode, it has hit me that when these came out, we were, in fact, the next generation. (laughs) It has been a long time since those words were used to describe, I'm assuming Greg and I, uh, Kate, I assume you are a a Zoomer. Obvi. Uh, We're a, a lovely little group. Hi. Hi. And of course, Jimmy G, Jimmy G. Hello, friend. Hello, lady. Happy to be here talking about defectors and all that kind of stuff. And all that good stuff. All that good stuff. (laughs) There are just no jokes to be had with this one. Well, we uh, let's let's talk about the world a little bit. This air date is uh, January first, nineteen ninety. This is our first episode of Next Generation to hit that. Uh, 1990s threshold um, and we missed a lot in the world there it, it's been about a month since uh, the episode previous so Greg can you catch us up what happened in the world absolutely uh, the last few episodes we've talked about the Berlin Wall coming down the Velvet Revolution in Prague and that led to on December 3rd uh, about a month before this episode aired Mikhail Gorbachev and President George H.W. Bush, the first Bush, met at the island of Malta, and it's called the Malta Summit, talking about what would happen when uh, the repercussions of all these revolutions of 1989. And it is, in fact, at this summit that uh, Gorbachev and Bush both declared the Cold War to be over. It was done. Not necessarily when every historian says it's over, sometimes with the breakup of uh, the USSR in 1991, but they in fact said it. And listen to some of the things they said. It's kind of crazy, given what's happening in the world right now during the Russian invasion of Ukraine. The world is leaving one epoch and entering another, said Gorbachev. We are at the beginning of a long road to a lasting, peaceful era. The threat of force, mistrust, psychological and ideological struggle should all be things of the past. I assured the president of the United States that I will never start a hot war against the USA. And Bush said we can realize a lasting peace and transform the East-West relationship to one of enduring cooperation. That is the future that Chairman Gorbachev and I begin right here in Malta. Oh boy. Uh, So yeah, this was echoes of what was happening with the Yalta conference at the end of uh, the World War II Uh, That took place actually in Crimea, in the Ukraine, between Joseph Stalin, uh, Bush, and I'm sorry, not Bush, but Roosevelt and Winston Churchill. And it was uh, a lot of echoes of this because Bush himself was a World War II historian. So he wanted to have this summit of the Malta summit happen on a ship because that's what Roosevelt liked to do uh, during his meetings with foreign leaders during his tenure uh, during World War II. So lots of things happening here. Yeah, Eric. If I could, I want to point out something that I learned relatively recently, and that is that we should say Ukraine, not the Ukraine. Thank you. Uh, uh, 
just kind of in solidarity for Ukrainians, that the Ukraine is how Russia would refer to it when when trying to make it a region and not a nation. And so Ukrainians refer to it as Ukraine, not the Ukraine. Makes total sense. And I noticed also that Ukraine was the first state to declare itself independent from the USSR when the USSR did in fact break up two years after this. So they have a long history of being, uh, I thought that was a very symbolic thing. That's probably what's echoes of what's going on right now as well. Uh, so that was a big event in December, but not to be outdone, the U.S. decided to invade Panama three weeks later. We talked about how General Noriega was indicted for federal drug charges. There was an um, election in May of 1989 that he basically said, nope, that doesn't count, doesn't, doesn't really go for it. Uh, and so and Jimmy Carter, actually, former president, was actually there witnessing that happening and denounced uh, that action. There was a coup attempted, which he put down in October. And the invasion of Panama was one of the biggest operations that the U.S. did since the Vietnam War. 27,000 troops invaded and uh, deposed Noriega. He eventually was able to sneak and try to get asylum during this invasion with the Vatican um, uh, embassy in Panama City. They let him in, of course, and the U.S. could not go in after him, but I just wanted to reference one of our earliest things when we said there was rock music being played. This was the this was the event in which uh, they tried to get him out of the embassy by playing Van Halen tapes, which definitely seems apropos for the 80s. Um, but yeah, and then that was on December 20th, and then here we are on the first a brand new decade in 1990. Everything was going to be peachy after that, I think. Are you telling me we played Panama? <laughs> him out of the fucking place in Panama. Like we're that fucking basic. That's what we did. We were on the nose that much. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> well, thank you, Greg. Uh, let me take us to pop culture land. Uh, in music, we missed a month's Full of uh, a number one hits, including Blame It on the Rain by Millie Vanilli, the second yeah. number one hit uh, of the faux band uh, Millie Vanilli. We Didn't Start the Fire by Billy Joel, yes. which uh, everybody knows at least part of, even if it's just a word or two. Uh, or the Let's go around the horn. Your favorite, <laughs> your favorite five words. Go. British Beatlemania, Ole Miss, John Glenn, Liston Beats, Patterson, Pope Paul, Joe, Malcolm X, British politician, sex, JFK, blow it away. That's enough. Next. <laughs> <laughs> Buddy Holly Doris Day. All right. <laughs> Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I, I believe at the end is uh, what else do I have to say? I, apparently, it uh, was nothing. Uh, Billy Joel, we're waiting for We Didn't Start the Fire 2.0. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of things to fit in there. Uh, things that are not our fault, I guess. I don't know. What is the point of that song? That the fire just rages on. We didn't start it. It just it just goes on and It's about on a lack of accountability. Uh, we didn't start it. <laughs> it was them. <laughs> he was saying that while Genesis was saying shit like my generation will get it right. Well, the number one song uh, this week uh, is happens to be Another Day in Paradise by Phil Collins. That would be. Oh, wow. Yeah, that song's uh, such a bummer. <laughs> I mean, it's beautiful, but like, it's just it's hard to listen to. I remember yeah. I remember back then being like, oh, I'm young and this is not my jam. <laughs> yeah, it ain't for us. Video is rough for sure. Yeah. Uh in Movieville Land, Back to the Future Part Two oh. hit the number one spot, as did National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. But one movie hit the number one on uh one side of the decade and then uh on the other. So uh we had it in nineteen eighty-nine and back again is War of the Roses. That is how we chose to start the new decade uh, is the um, uplifting and optimistic tale <laughs> <laughs> told in War of the Roses. Danny DeVito. Yeah, love, love, love. It's a classic. Uh, on television, uh, on December 15th, which we missed, Steve Urkel made his first appearance on Family Matters. Oh, good for him. On December 17th, the series premiere of The Simpsons 
Uh, the Simpsons roasting on an open fire. Of course, we know The Simpsons was a spinoff of uh, an animated sketch from what show? The Tracy Ullman show. Tracy Ullman. The Tracy Ullman show. Nice. Don't eat me. I have a wife and kids. Eat them. <laughs> <laughs> That was beautiful. And then on Broadway, uh, we missed artists descending a staircase. Uh, you know, you don't want to blink too hard because you'll miss them descending that staircase. Uh, City of Angels. And on January 4th, Annie 2 opens uh, and would close on January 20th. Wow. I didn't even know there was an Annie 2. Wow. I had forgotten that one. Annie 2 Electric Boogaloo, I believe, is its <laughs> official title. And then Annie 3, it takes place in a prison. It's very strange. It's totally not like the previous two. <laughs> and that was what was happening in uh, pop culture. Jimmy, do you have any production notes for us? Uh, yeah, there's a bunch from this one. The early draft of this episode actually had a love affair between, can you guess? j -Rock and Picard. Picard, that's right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, Crusher and Jarek. Wow, with the guest star. They were supposed to have our, a Sherlock Holmes teaser in this episode, but a little lawsuit got in the way there. And so Moore, the executive producer, um, went to Stewart to ask for his advice. And, of course, he's like, well, let's do some Henry V. So uh, that's all thanks to old Pat that we got to, um, you know, let slip the dogs of war in this one. Uh, and he, of course, played Michael Williams. In the holodeck, when we go and see Romulus, uh, um, this is the very first time in Star Trek canon that we get any kind of glimpse uh, of Romulus. So even though it's fake, it is our first look uh, and maybe only look, especially now that there is no more Romulus Prime. It's gone. It's gone. Also, first look at the Romulus Star Cruiser, our um, scouting ship that gets blown up. It is the third and final version. I know you're on the, the edge of your seats. Third and final version of the Admiral's uniform. They finally, settled, oh. they finally settled on a look at this one. They got it after a long time. Uh, and then that battle, the, the, there's a little bit of a nod to um, a, a battle they're still sort of reeling from, the Romulans, that is. And that was a battle between Earth and Romulus Prime that took uh, place about 100 years before Kirk's timeline started mm. in the canon. Um, so just, you know, sometimes I forget uh, how long they've had space travel before we join with these people that we know. And it was actually quite a while. Yeah. So that was interesting for me. And we hear the hood dropped in this episode. Uh, and just as a reminder, that was Riker's previous assignment before coming to the Enterprise to be a number one instead of being a captain because he's a quitter. Because he's a quitter. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jimmy. Uh, this episode was written by our friend Ronald D. Moore. Uh, this is the episode that earned him a position on the writing staff. Uh, of course, we've talked a lot about Ronald and what he went on to do. Uh, of course, Deep Space Nine, co-exec Peter Producer, uh, co-wrote Star Trek Generations and Star Trek First Contact. Uh, directed by Robert Shearer. 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 <laughs> There's a lot of E's and a lot of R's, Shearer, who directed 11 episodes of The Next Generation, including Measure of a Man, Peak Performance, and The Price. Speaking of people bringing their uh, gifts to set, we have some guest stars of note. We do. I'm going to talk about two of them. We will, of course, start with James Sloyan, as you know, no spoilers here, Sub-Lieutenant Satal. I'm sure that that is how it will... Uh, play out as we get into the episode and no one has already spoiled that huge history in trek does mr sloyan have as we are finding with this show the guest stars tend to be this nice mix of folks who had some history with the earlier franchise and then other folks who they could get early or late in their careers and who were veritable stars and then we had folks like this guy who would you uh, trek would use in their various properties for decades to come he's the grown-up alexander son of Worf in deep space nine he is the scientist that kind of holds otho and studies him or odo sorry otho is beetlejuice in uh, uh in deep space nine uh he is Another scientist trying to atone for destroying Neelix's home, home world in Voyager. 
Dude wow. was in all kinds of shit. Uh, and then in his career, he started with things like The Sting and the gang that couldn't shoot straight. He's still around, apparently. He has a short in post right now. Tons of voiceover, including the voice of Lexus Cars for over 30 years. He really peaked in the 90s, though, with recurring roles on Chicago Hope, Party of Five, Dr. Quinn, Baywatch, Murder, She Wrote, and Matlock. Nice. But we're going to spend some time with Mr. John Hancock, who we remember, I think, well as Vice Admiral Hayden. He's in this episode and several others. My God, what a familiar face to me, myself. I don't know if you all remember him. Uh, the first things that came to my mind that jumped in, I'm a big L.A. Law fan, and uh, he was a judge there that showed up about a dozen times. But Sergeant Washington in A Soldier's Story. Uh, is the one that really jumped out for me. It's one of my favorite movies, and it is chock full of future stars, and he held, holds his own with all of them. He's especially interesting in it as only one of a couple characters with some actual military authority in it. Uh, anyway, he's wonderful in that. Go check it out. We have another Cop Rock sighting. We also we always have to bring up <laughs> Cop Rock when any of our guest stars yes. have moving forward. Uh, uh, Amen, my favorite show of the late 80s into the 90s. Uh, Tank with James Garner, if you remember this. I must have seen it a dozen times when I was a kid. The In-Laws, Airplane 2, the sequel. And I think many people our age remember him as Gus, Steve Keaton's very recurring co-worker in Family Ties who moves across the street late in the series and causes all this, the hubbub as the first black member of that neighborhood. Mm. The, I, I remember thinking in my sheltered white suburban kansas life that it was weird that that was happening in the 80s but of course that was happening in the 80s and is happening still today all over this country um but i remember that very vividly as well he played tons of cops and preachers he projected authority but kind of a fun authority unfortunately we lost him pretty young just a couple years after this in 1992 a loss we're feeling uh but uh you know we really enjoyed him in this episode and the other ones we've got coming up. That's it that I want to talk about. We got to get into the episode. All right. Thank you, Eric. And let's get into that episode indeed. We start on the holodeck with a little Henry five. And in one of my favorite moments, we find Picard mouthing the words behind the tree, <laughs> like some, you know, sort of uh, amazing parental presence on the side. I got so excited to see a little Shakespeare. And then I heard that voice. Of, uh, of, of, uh, well, wait, where is Picard really? Because we hear that dulcet voice, uh, but a little bit gruffer, maybe. Governor. Governor. <laughs> as, <laughs> as he, indeed, uh, Patrick Stewart plays dual roles in that opening scene. What do we think of this Shakespeare, my friends? We've got a lovely little cold opening. I dig it. I think it's such a cool, interesting way to frame the episode right you know because he keeps referencing it throughout uh and as well with data and their relationship and how that all comes across i just think it's such a good way i mean it's kind of a happy accident i don't really understand how sherlock holmes would have been as poignant as it is uh using something that's about war and leadership and being on the brink uh like like uh, a lot of the plays of the history plays are for for shakespeare well, and there's that fun little joke that starts with Olivier and then goes to Branna, who was just 21 at this point, and then goes from there to uh, one more human and then a uh, alien name that we have not known yet as the the four titans of Shakespeare that Data studied in his performance prep. Did you I, did you think that Brent Spiner mispronounced Branna's name on purpose? Because he says like Branage or something like that, and I'm like. Wow, I feel like he would have at least known the dudes how to pronounce it. I feel like maybe it's just data. I think it was at a hard G. Yeah, like uh, Branig or something like that. Yeah, it was funny. I like that Picard tells him he doesn't want to want him to copy other actors. He needs to find his own. We we have a similar conversation uh, in an earlier episode when when uh, Data is learning to play the violin. Um, so how is he going to learn to uh, to have his own style, as it were? Then they get the call that something is approaching, and while they're in the hallway on the way to the bridge, Data wants to know when he can have his student showcase. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> and Picard says, let's just maybe hold yeah. off on inviting all those agents right away. We're just maybe a little too, too, too far. Data, we've had one rehearsal. Like, please, come on. We have to work on it a little bit well, more. And Spiner's response is fantastic because it's just a sound. He goes, hmm. Hmm. <laughs> He's disappointed. It's funny. Uh, and we find out that it is. It is funny. We find out that it is a Romulan scout ship that is under pursuit and calling for asylum credits. What? I know. I'm very excited, right? I really like the progression too from this uh, from uh, of this episode uh, with the Glorndon Core episode just you know two or three prior right like it really does feel like and the Enterprise is on alert it's patrolling the neutral zone and so that's why they would have seen this and it really just makes this universe feel real lived in like we didn't really get too much in uh, episode uh, seasons one and two. The director even talked about how interesting it was to do this. Uh, episode because of the recent history uh but the ship is in the neutral zone we find out uh and then gets hit into federation space which is very lucky sort of like the little trick shot that you do in the bar when you're hustling someone what do we think of this little uh detente uh well i loved it because immediately you're suspicious i was like there's yeah. there's something more than anything that th this guy says or, or is happening and i didn't like any of the others I, I didn't remember this at all but i had suspicions uh but i wasn't ever ahead of the the actors so the opening was really cool because it was tense and um you know like something is afoot just to play mm -hmm. off the shakespeare yeah i i want to kind of piggyback off what you said there jimmy like i also was kind of surprised at every turn i had my theories and every time the this uh, you know the twist was revealed it was different than what my theory was and that's kind of rare in popular entertainment like they want you to be on that track around the same time or just ahead of the plot uh you know that's the the way to keep you watching you know it's, it's one of the one of the ways people do it and i i have a tendency because of that to forget that people have always known how to surprise you if that's what they want to do and uh, this episode, at least for me, was very successful in that. Is this the first time that we've ever seen uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. extended in quite that way? I don't think I've ever mm, seen them yeah. be like, we're going to envelop a whole yeah. other ship with these S.H.I.E.L.D.s. Like, ha hop in my kangaroo sack. I'll protect you, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> It's like it's like their shields. <laughs> I was thinking it was like suddenly their shields are like the invisible woman, and she can just put them any. You know, they can just put them wherever they want them. Yeah. Cannon. Cannon. We find out very soon that he is a defector. What? Growing up, anytime I'd watch with my grandma, if the the title of the show or movie made its way into the dialogue, she'd go, and that's where they got the title. <laughs> Reminded me of that. That's awesome. Big fan of the titular line, your grandma. I usually just look at somebody uh, who I am sitting with in a movie, and then, yes, I just wink at them very slowly. Uh, like, uh, it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> I can't help it. I can't help it. I find it, it delightful. <laughs> so here he is, just this low-ranking official. Uh, you know, it's like, I just happen to know this information and that they're, the Romulans have taken over a planet in the neutral zone and we got to destroy the base. And Picard says, I don't know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he blows him off, like, immediately. No doubt you will want to, you know, interrogate me further. No doubt. No, no, no doubt. It's so yeah. good. I love that the delivery of like, do what? Like, why? Yes, I'll beat you up. Like, you want me to beat you up? <laughs> <laughs> that does sound fun. Did you guys find I? Uh, nothing about the actor's performance, but I never bought for a second that he was uh, low level. Like everything about his uh, comportment, his the way everything about him was like, you're up there, dude. <laughs> You're big. Yeah. You got some BDE going on. I think it's on purpose. Like, I think he's supposed to be terrible at pretending to be anything. Yeah, I think you're right. 
Thank yeah, you. and and he does a great job. Like, oh, look at me, an unimportant peon. Right. <laughs> Don't look too closely at me, though I know it must be difficult. I'm unimportant always. A simple undersecretary here, nothing to look at. <laughs> <laughs> I like the fact that it happens, though, because it gives him a secret to hold on to, right? Which is totally. why Troy doesn't immediately go, oh, he's telling the truth. Yeah. Holy shit, we're in trouble, right? Like, he has to hold on to some sort of secret in order for it to to be able well, to... Well, Kate, is it too soon to bring up what he has in his boot? You know, there's a scene in his quarters. Yes. Because that, that's it another secret. Soon, but, okay. but yes, it is. But... uh. But yes, that is, and which I just now, as you said it, realized what it is. Mm-hmm. That thing that he pulls out. Mm. It was a nice, because it, it was good misdirection. Yeah, it is good misdirection. Yeah. Oh, wow. Where was I? Uh, Riker thinks he's a plant. He's going to send them to trick them all into going into the neutral zone. They're like, you know what? Before we figure this out, let's just go on his ship. And then there's that great shot. They're like in the observation room and the ship just explodes right next to uh, Picard's face. As Picard is saying, the, the choices that we will make over the next 48 hours could lead to war. <laughs> the stakes are high and they just got higher. I love that. I love, yeah, it's a great, it's a great little, I I did not remember this episode either. Um, I was, I was like Jimmy for this episode. It was strange and cold and alone and I. <laughs> wanted so many micro brews. I didn't know what was happening. Uh, but uh, uh, in Seattle, we just call them beers. Oh, that's true. That's true. In sick bay, dude is like, uh, well, yeah, I set the auto destruct. Duh. Yeah. I love that. He's like, yeah, of course. Wouldn't you I'm... do that? Well, and then he says that line. I'm not a traitor. Yeah, I came to stop a war, which I think is really. Yeah. Interesting. No, that's no, a great line because he wouldn't think of himself as a traitor. No. So that, it would have been shoddy writing for him to play into, yeah, I'm a traitor. Like, yeah. You know, you always find the hero. And yeah, so of course he doesn't see himself as a traitor. Right. He's thinking he's being the true patriot and saving, yeah. And yeah, saving yeah. the Abramulan Empire. But this is the moment I was talking about where he and Crusher uh, briefly talk about the incidents, uh, the incident that happened uh, with the Romulan who died. And there's a significant uh, exchange of glances between Crusher and Worf. That was great. Uh, Yeah. Heavy. Worf thinks he's a spy and the dude keeps using uh, naughty Klingon words (laughs) to to describe Worf. Uh, but Riker knows his own naughty words. Thank you very much. What do we think of this whole uh, wharf versus dude? It's amazing. I I think it's such a another like another uh, tip of the cap for Ronald D. Moore writing this is because there's so much at play in this one little scene. Right, you get the Crusher and and Worf stuff that you mentioned. Even just Crusher uh, trying to have him hold still and giving up mm-hmm. the information that this is the scene where they meant they reference Galorndon core. And he almost gives himself away by saying, oh, yes, I know everything about uh, those two officers. And he's like, how would you know that? And then he's like, just kidding. Everyone knew. (laughs) It was on the papers and the the talkies. Common knowledge. Uh, Right? And it's such a great way to give information that you're like, I don't trust this guy, but I don't fully hate him either. Because he, even though he has that back and forth with Worf, I kind of like him for that. And in a similar way, like he's just given it, you know, he's given shit to another military enemy in a way that felt almost camaraderie like, and that's why he laughs at the end. And and then yeah, it has he's a bit affable nice... about it at the end, right? Yeah. I like that wharf. It was it was brilliant. We go into dude's room where he orders water. It's a bit of a production, uh, but he finally gets his water at the right temperature. Thank you very much. And then yes, pulls this orange dot out of his boot, which is this great. Uh, is this considered a MacGuffin, right? Like, is this considered, or is this uh, More of a maybe Chekhov's gun, a Chekhov's maybe? gun, right? Is this? <laughs> well, no, but is... it does come into play, though, right? Totally. Yes, that so... is true. That is true. Just not in the way that we think it's going to. Chekhov's MacGuffin. There it is. <laughs> That's the technical term all writers use. It's so interesting, though, that Jimmy, until you mentioned that, and I had written it down, I didn't realize what that orange dot was. Uh, and then how it comes back into play there at the end. Right, because at, the, at first I was like, oh, he's got a, a spy thing. 
or yeah. a tracker. Like he's getting a like tracker. A, that's what I thought. Yeah, he's, somehow he's gonna endanger the the enterprise. Yeah. Or he's this. got information, like it's a, it's a storage device or something like that. But like, yeah. right, he's got some secret, and it 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 throws him into suspicion for the audience as well as for the crew, which I thought was also just really well done. Just to briefly go back to the last scene, what I loved most about that scene was that interaction between Crusher and Worf, simply because it harkened back to another episode. And too often, stuff happens, and it even if it doesn't resolve or people are still a little bit sad at the end, it doesn't get addressed, and we don't see how it can carry over for weeks. You know, like we we don't see Riker still mourning, uh, uh, killing somebody that he was involved with. Uh, just the last episode. So it was really nice to see that. Um, it, but a, a, an acting thing, again, not uh, talking about the actor, what they did or their ability, but when he was using the, the Klingon words, it's always a curious thing to me when an actor is speaking their dialect perfectly and then, then drops into this very convincing one word pronunciation of a what is for them a foreign word. Rather than, and especially in this scene where he's trying to be offensive, and it may have been a more interesting choice if he purposely didn't pronounce it correctly, you know, because he's stepping on his culture a little bit rather than like here's a, almost a master class on how to say a Klingon curse word. Um, it, it's for me, it's always a little jarring uh, when actors make that choice too. It's almost like they're showing off, like, look how well I can pronounce this word rather than a, uh, maybe what a real person would sound like. Why can't it be the character showing off in how they say that word? Uh, it could be. I'm saying I don't find it interesting. <laughs> like it's Again, <laughs> I, I started with it's nothing about him or his performance. It's like it's something no, for you. me always uh, uh, when I hear it. Uh, even when people in real life, when they suddenly just want to sound like they're from another, another place and they utterly drop into trying to sound French for one single word. Fromage. Right. It's the déroton of the scene. Do you understand? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm saying, what if that's what he was trying to do to Worf and frustrate him the way he frustrated you? And you just fell for the oldest pick <laughs> in the book. Boom. Yeah, Jimmy G's going to hate this. Yeah, it's the oldest trick in the book. Candid. <laughs> <laughs> well, meanwhile, uh, Data can't find any signs of Romulans in the neutral zone. And Picard gets a message that we realize is time delayed because of where they are. The home office says that the Romulans are officially protesting. They want the defector back. And then basically the Admiral says, this is all going to come down on your shoulders. Sorry about it. Bye. <laughs> I love the tension that gets ramped up with, with the Admiral's messages because it's the time delay, right? Like it's, yeah. it does feel a little bit like submarines, you know, still fighting a war when the war's already been done type of thing, right? Like you have right. to make the decisions in real time uh, with the information that you've got. And I just love that, that setup. You don't get that too often. Some, you know, obviously you can get close enough for subspace and you'd, you know, you'd be able to have the back and forth that they sometimes do with Starfleet, but this, the distance is really felt here on the uh, ship. Uh, we're on the ship. Duh. Oh my gosh. Uh, good job. Me uh, on the main deck. Jordy is showing them some fancy stuff, some simulations that he has figured out whereby the warship, the Romulan uh, was going slower when the scout ship was going slower, which is another great moment that makes us, the audience, go, mm hmm, something is happening. What did we think of this little wrinkle? I love that the word warship sounds like it would be spelled W O R S H I P. That's just all I have to say about this particular. Oh, good. good, thank you. Helpful. <laughs> um, uh, Picard is watching another message when uh, Data shows up and says we need to send out a probe, and he wants Data to give his opinion and has this moment, which I think is really poignant, where he says we're about we're about to go to war, and I want you to keep a record of this so that history will have it. And that it will be dispassionate and it will be 
you know, it, it will be clear and and um, concise. Well, what do we think of this uh, this scene? He quotes a little Will- William Shakespeare as as data leaves. At this point, it has to remind you of Zelensky a little bit, yeah. right? Yeah. Stuff that he's been saying in English, you know, his at least second, third, fourth language, whatever it is. He he looks at the camera. He answers the question. He's straightforward, firm, unhesitating. You know, it, mostly dispassionate in what has got to be. I mean, it has to be the most emotional experience of the lives of everyone around him. It's it's impressive to watch in real time and hearing Picard give that order is super interesting. I like also too that you know, similar to the events that we described that are happening in real history, like the uh, the Malta summit, like. There is this gravitas with Picard this entire episode that history's watching him, right? That this is going to be viewed and his actions are going to be viewed through that lens. And almost because he just did that with Galorn and Kor, uh, he's a little bit like, okay, I want to make sure I, I'm documenting all this now because there's going to be such a, a need for the scholarship here. And not just need for scholarship, which is is true, but also... And a record of the events as they actually happened versus a, you know, some versus a one side saying this is what happened and the other side saying this is what happened. Uh, you know, certainly having an android. For that, android. you'd have to believe that data is dispassionate. No, sh- listen, listen. <laughs> and not a, uh, but you, you, but you're right, though. Like, I mean, I was just reading, too, about the other conferences that say Roosevelt was was doing like and he made sure that. There was a photographer there taking pictures of the three of them. All the famous pictures we've seen from those summits was all because Roosevelt demanded that they basically pose for these photographs and keep a record in that way. But even then, Roosevelt's always in the middle because he was the one doing that. So he was the one who was bringing, you know, being the leader and the host for that. So even dispassionate records can still have interpretation within them. And so I think that's it's, it's really interesting to, to kind of that's what Picard is contending with this whole time. Just like Henry did. We go to an interrogation scene with Riker and Troy. Uh, one thing that I, I read on uh, uh, Memory Alpha is that um, there were actually three interrogation scenes in total, and two of them had to get cut for time. Uh, and they were pretty bummed about that because they got to approach him in different ways um, and and looking at him as, as he broke down. I, I think that would have been... Uh, certainly interesting to see a little bit more of the interrogation. Here we just get uh, a lot of yelling. Yeah, Riker is mad. My, Riker is mad. Riker has made up his mind, for sure. He's he's bad cop, and then we don't really get Troy to do too much good cop. Right. But... Well, Riker's but we do... just, he's just yelly. He's a yelly person. Yes. We've seen it in, in many episodes throughout these three seasons where... Uh, it's Jonathan Frakes or his choice as an actor for this character to be yelly. He's a yelly dude. <laughs> I keep thinking of the monologue that Zachary Levi gives in um, Mrs. Maisel about how a tall person is not allowed to get angry because a tall person yelling is just, there's this angry building standing in front of me. <laughs> 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 it just, it doesn't make people like to you. It just right. freaks people out. <laughs> Frakes wasn't, he, you mean he wasn't really yelling? We just interpret him as yelling because he's so much taller than everyone. Else. <laughs> no, I mean, he was an angry building. <laughs> <laughs> Do it yourself, Goss. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but our 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 friend who's about to reveal himself, not quite yet, but has the great line, how foolish I've been come looking for courage in a lair of cowards. Ooh. Ooh. Ooh, right? Troy does not like that. They end that 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 scene on her like stewing, like she's about to retort or something. Like what 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 did you guys think her emotion was there? I th- I saw that too. I thought she was realizing this guy's telling the truth. Mm. Ooh, I like that. I like, I thought I thought it was that too. That it was I can't. Yeah. There's something wrong, but I can't deny. Right. And not about the line. Not like oh yeah, we are cowards. But like he's yes. not lying to us. His emotional right. about why he's here. This scene also does have that irrelevant. Irrelevant. Yes, That's, I love that. It is yes. stuck, I love that. stuck in my head forever. <laughs> Irrelevant. I say that to Aaron, my wife, all the time. 
Because it's not a, it's not an easy word to say strongly. Irrelevant. Yeah, it's not. It, it's almost a comical word, and it doesn't come across that way when he does it. Meantime, the probe gets launched, and Jordy and Data are discussing that Jordy's gut tells him that they should be listening to this guy. Uh, they talk about facts versus feelings, gut feelings. Uh, we get to hear Data's first encounter of the phrase, we'll catch him with their pants down, uh, which he just doesn't understand at all. Idiomatic confusion is always fun, and they've found a way to do it that doesn't make fun of, like, an immigrant or pun anyway. They have this wonderful idiomatic humor all the way through, and it's not like Faulty Towers where they made him a Spaniard, and it's not like, you know, everything else where they make it some other it's an android like fine we can laugh at that i like this conversation though about how we make decisions how a human makes decisions right and they sort of come up with that by the end the person fills in the blanks (laughs) with instinct and intuition but also facts which is kind of true right like how do you make a fucking decision like you have to get those facts but there is that that gut instinct that that kicks in uh, and that that is something that that data may never get to experience. This reminds me too. I just love that it's it's two people who obviously they you know data and Jordy make decisions a lot, but they're not the captain, right? They're not the ones who are making the things that are going to go to war, right? So it's this nice, it's like Henry the Henry the fifth, right? It's these low you know ranking people who are trying to decide. Well, this is above us. How are they deciding it? Is it just because? You know, the king was jealous and so he's going to war, you know, and so it's this it has those again, that wonderful comparison of what's happening here. And and they know that what's at stake and they don't know who is going to be making this decision for them. And they have to trust Picard because they know and love him. Also, just data is really when he says it out loud, how people make it is like, because that's what your gut tells you. It sounds ridiculous. It sounds so dumb, but it is. It's true. The way Jordan is describing it is like, yeah, that is how you make a decision. But the way I love the childlike wonder that that Spiner does is because your gut told you to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Working his way through it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, we find out that the probe is picking up some signals, but not necessarily on the planet. And we'll have to find out by going ourselves. Maybe we haven't decided yet. So we go to 10 forward and there's no Guinan. This is yet another 10 or, forward episode with no Guinan. Or Crusher. Or Wesley, rather. Or Crusher. or we- tell, tell me about it. But in 10 forward, we find Data and the dude. Uh, and he's staring at him. And Guy wants to know what's going on. And he's just trying to ascertain what his gut tells him. <laughs> it's so good. I love it, too. And I think, I think Jarek gives himself away here as well, because... How would he know about the android that's on the Enterprise if he was just a low-level person, right? It seems like there's there's intel here that he's aware of. And they have, you know, like this is where this is where that I'm not a traitor conversation really comes to a head for me, right? Where it is clear that he is a proud Romulan who loves his people, who who feels like he had no other course of action this is the point where i started to be like i think this guy might be telling the truth um i still didn't trust him fully but this conversation uh his reaction to talking about never being able to see his planet again like that just it started to to get to me and starts to get to data too right because the next thing you know data says well what if we what if we bring romulus to you what do we think of this 10 forward scene i mean it's super interesting you know, based on the fact that for the 30 years previous to this, you know, defectors made a big part of both sides of the Cold War, you know, as it's as the Cold War is winding down in in truth, as opposed to rumor, you know, the, the 10 years before this, you know, seeing a defector come so kind of baldly across and have them talk about it like it, it in this scene, it's so clear that it's the kind of attitude that people like uh, you know Gudinov and Barishnikov and and some of the famous artistic defectors that came over or athletic defectors never stopped considering themselves Russian mm. uh, even as they you know became 
you know, protected by American, sometimes American citizens. It was it was always about the regime, not about you know the the, the country itself, and, and that's something that we're still dealing with <laughs> again, very much in in the now. Yeah, you're right. You know, this scene does feel make this puts it most in our world uh, and the present things that were going on, you know, during the during the fall of the Soviet Union here, right? Because that is always very true. Off we go to the holiday. And as Jimmy said, we get our first uh, view of Romulus there. And he almost yells out, I can see my house from here, but stops himself <laughs> just short of that moment. Uh, but then after having that beautiful uh, view, he wants to turn it off because it's no longer his home. And then he turns and drops a nice little uh, light, nice little mic drop where he's like, oh, by the way, I'm an admiral and I'm going to need to see Picard ASAP. Uh, I legitimately turned to my husband and said, did he just say he was an admiral? Like, <laughs> it, was, it was a good reveal for me. It definitely, like, it's not that I had trusted fully who he was, but I wasn't planning on him being an admirable, right? Admirable? Is that an what I'm admirable saying? Admirable admiral. He was admirable. He's super admirable. <laughs> no, same, Kate. Like, I knew he had a secret. I knew he wasn't fully on the level. But, you know, when they revealed this secret, I'm like, oh, well, this is the secret. And then there's another one. And then there's another one. And, like, it, it's a really, it had me the whole time. Yeah. And it comes after that great line, too, when Data ends the program. And it's just that room of mm. yellow lines. And he's like, this is my home now. I know. This is where I live. I'm an empty shell of a man. <laughs> I live in the Imaginarium. <laughs> so good. Picard has, in the meantime, gotten a message from uh, the Home Office saying, beware of what this guy says. Yes, he is an ad uh, admiral, but he's a particularly uh, effective one. So be on your guard. An unreliable source of information when you're like, yes. yeah, duh. You're done. You're done. <laughs> Thanks, Troy. <laughs> you can detect that all the way from here. The Admiral comes in. Picard says, sit. He says, there's no time. And then Picard says, I'll see your there's no time. And I'll give you the slowest start to any conversation ever. Where he just slowly lays out, here's why I don't trust you. You are not a man of peace. I don't buy what you're selling. You are full of shit. As we are starting to go, oh, wait, I'm not so sure about this anymore. Picard, perhaps you should listen to him a little bit more. And then what I think is a great moment is he says what you called a massacre, we called a campaign. One world's butcher is another world's hero. Perhaps I'm neither one, which is just ain't that the kick in the pants of the what the fuck we talk about all the time uh with one thing being you know every villain thinks he's the hero of his own story um but in this instance too like who are you to say that i'm the villain my my people call me the the champion oh war is complicated and messy well yeah as well as like afghanistan right for the you russians was you know a terrible conflict but they never called it that right they called it something else right it was like how the U.S. during the Vietnam War it was a police action. It wasn't a war at all, right? And so it is all about how it's framed by the victor or by the culture that's talking about any type of military thing. I thought that was, yeah, very telling. And then to asking Picard if he has children, too. I thought that was a very interesting piece of information. Right, yeah. Well, that's that's that next, that next little section, right? Uh, Picard has a great line, too, where he says, I will not risk my crew because you think you can dance on the edge of the neutral zone. You've mm. crossed over. Ooh, that's so good. And right yeah. after that, where you think like, okay, Picard just won this. That's when he drops the, do you have any children? Which everyone knows the way to get to Picard is to ask him about children. <laughs> he loves kids. He does. He loves them. <laughs> um, but he, but the guy says like, I'm, I am here for her. Not to destroy it, the Romulan Empire, but to save it. Yeah, that resonated with me, you know, as, 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 a, as a reasonable uh, motivation for what he's doing here, right? Yeah. Like that, that I was like, yeah, all right. I could totally see a man who's worked his way up all the way to be admiral, to have all that power and to not want to go down that route of, of endless war again. He even says she, she will grow up thinking I'm a traitor, but she will grow up. Yeah, that's such a good line. 
God, Ronald D. Moore is good. God, fuck that guy. Am I right? There's a lot of good lines in there. I even I like the heated exchange between them when he's when uh uh Jirok says I'm not a traitor and almost before he can finish the sentence, Picard goes, But you are a traitor. You've already betrayed your people. Like it's just a just a juicy fun line yeah like reading the script i would have been like oh i can't wait to this scene and he was right it's like even if you're doing something honorable at the moment you're a traitor uh and you don't get to you know shift the labels over because it's inconvenient for you or you know i don't need to bow down to what you're asking or acquiesce because you say so (laughs) like you you need to show us that you're not these things because otherwise you are. Um, yeah. And all the things these guys said about the war, you know, it's 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 always interesting because however you interpret it and oftentimes both sides are misinterpreting it. Right. Like there's often a reason to be in conflict. Uh, and then the leaders are the the ones sort of throwing the little people at each other. Uh, in these horrible situations. And we get to see sort of the top level now of, you know, which is sort of like the Shakespearean thing of always putting the the the, the royalty as who we're supposed to, to reflect on rather than the common. And again, we get this, you know, like the admiral's the one who's making the admirable choice. <laughs> <laughs> but he wins, right? That's the great thing is Picard does get through to him and he's yeah. like, You've already you've already betrayed him. Why not go right. all the way and tell us how to defeat your cloaking devices? Because he thought he was right. <laughs> well, and it's super interesting. Like now you see the same scenes that you see in Henry V with Pistol and, and the ones who say, you know, Shakespeare 400 and some years ago was was already writing about the poor people saying, why are we going to war for the rich people? You know, it, it was the same shit. And he said it in basically those words. It's super interesting, um, right? Anyway. I mean, it's this play, Henry the Five, Henry the Fifth, which it is, which it is. which made our very first ever full stage production of the Common Man with uh, Mary Wives of Windsor. You know, like the popularity of Falstaff in this is what made Elizabeth want to see more of it, so she commissioned Falstaff into a play, and for the first time. We have the common man as the center character of a production. You know. A franchise, in fact. <laughs> well, I love this next moment. Uh, as we end this scene in Picard's room, um, he says, I'm not going to help you unless we get co- cooperation. Next, we go into the conference room and Picard stands there for forever before saying everything, anything. There's this nice, long, pregnant pause as we all wonder what's going to happen. And then he says, okay, we've got everything that we need. Don't worry about it. We've gotten all the information. He totally sang like canary. Uh, what do you want? Do you want to know what the bathrooms look like? Uh, I've got that. Those schematics for you. He pulls out the maps and he's like, look here. This is where all their bathrooms are. Yeah. So off they go and there is no one there to confront them in the neutral zone. In fact, it is too damn easy. And in fact, I think that they invoke a little bit of Custer's last stand uh, in, in this moment, which is always good to bring up when you're right in the middle of it. There's a one little thing just before that, Kate, where uh, as a they brush it aside, Picard tells Worf to go talk to the Klingons on deck nine. So he sends, ah. he sends Worf away to go deal with the Klingons. Nothing to it. And then we right. get nice. on to the rest. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, and that, I nice. love that little subtle through line because I think it's earlier. It's just one line where Picard's like, send Mr. Worf into the ready room. You, and you never see that scene. You never see them what they're talking about. But, you know, Picard and Worf talk. And it's so wonderfully juicy piece of information that just adds to what's going on here. Nice. I'd miss that, Jimmy. That's great. Me, too. I'd completely miss that. I did, too. They get to the planet. They scan it. <laughs> I rang. And there is nothing there. Janet. Damn it. Uh, they're still picking up the signals, but they do not know where they are coming from. So they bring the Admiral uh, on deck to show him there's no base, and Picard is pissed mm. off. That walk he does. Well, first of all, I like uh, the guy playing Jorox just being like, I saw the communiques, the timetable. Like, that is such a, I believe, 
so yeah. much that he is what the fuck is my entire reality broken right now i'm not important it's one of the biggest mind fucks powerful dudes will ever experience hopefully that no like whisper but with an exclamation point too it's yeah. so wonderful uh but then yeah right like that picard does that weird walk where he looks like he's going to go to his captain's chair and sit down and then he's like no you motherfucker yeah <laughs> you've been lied to this whole time and you brought me into it and i bought your shit what have you done it's so it's so great I'm going to sit down. Let me try and save your stupid life uh, at this point, because he clearly knows that, it. you know, you get there and it's a trap. And, you know, they sit and talk about it for 10 seconds before he's like, for so long. Let's get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> at your earliest convenience. Yeah, because as soon as they turn around, boom, two ships that start firing immediately. I mean, talk about escalation, right? Like they are not fucking messing around. And this is that point where, you know. Data is the it has the black box in him, right? Like he's been recording everything, and this is that moment where they go, ah, who did fire first, right? But then we see that it's it's that it's Tomalock, it's that fucker. We've met him before. He's Andreas Katsulas. He's being a snide little bitch about this shit too. That smirk. That smirk, right? And he says that they're going to dismantle the Enterprise and display it as a warning. I mm. fucking love that. <laughs> so good. Yeah, what? How big is their hall? Holy cow. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's about bigger it. than you've ever seen. It's fine. Don't worry about it. It's in Canada. It's in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Kate. I love you, Eric. <laughs> amazing he says uh hand over the traitor and then surrender you have 30 seconds i love that they said 30 seconds i love it because there's too often when they give them way too much time like they're basically saying go figure this out here's five years to go figure out what to do <laughs> like 30 <laughs> seconds is what you do it's like I don't want you to succeed. Especially in Act 5. Yeah. You got 30 seconds. Go. <laughs> Katsulas does such a good uh, thing when he's talking about the probe, too. Uh, and, he's, and he says, like, oh, yeah, we're just doing this probe. We're studying for archaeological things. <laughs> so good. Knowing full well that it's a lie. And I don't like we said earlier with uh, the, the the Glorandin Core, the enemy episode, like he knows he's lying and he knows he can't do anything about it. So fuck you. It's so jarring in real life when you run into people like that because you do from time to time. Yeah. Just look at you, lie, and keep looking at you. <laughs> and you're like, you are a, you're an alien. <laughs> You have to just kind of move on with your life. It's fascinating. I, uh, I've i encountered that in every time I've ever taught preschool. You 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 meet the little sociopaths really fast. <laughs> Who will yep. like be standing there eating a sandwich they're not supposed to eat. And you're like, are you eating that sandwich? And they will slowly bite into it, chew it down, drink a glass of milk, and then say no. <laughs> Fucking creepy. <laughs> Uh, so <laughs> suddenly, <laughs> uh, as as the ships are getting ready to fire once again, three Klingon warships, three Klingon warships, uh, <laughs> are suddenly surrounding them, uh, which is just a badass move. I was, I had again had missed that line, Jimmy, and so to me, I was like, woohoo! The cavalry <laughs> arrived. Well, and I didn't know what to expect from it. It was just. Warp, go talk to the Klingons. I was like, oh, how dismissive. You got to go down to deck nine to talk to the Klingons? Okay. Where do we keep the Klingons? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, because I was like, they're not on the ship. Why can't you talk to them anywhere? Like, why do you have to go to some special deck? Uh, and then when they show up, I'm like, oh, you guys are going to get some comeuppance. <laughs> the Klingons are here, buddy. <laughs> It's so great. I, I love, love the de the yeah. decloaking effect with it in the yeah. foreground of that shot. It does so well. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's one of the few times I've cheered singing a Klingon warboard <laughs> decloak. And you're like, yes, these were supposed to be the enemies. But no, they're our friends. <laughs> they're our friends. <laughs> friends. 
And you won't be our friends until Picard. And then Jarek says, I did it for nothing. <sighs> and the next thing we have found out is that we now know what that little orange tab was for. Uh, as Jarek has uh, died by suicide and leaves a letter for his wife and daughter. And Data wonders how, why did he leave this? There's no way we're ever going to be able to deliver this. Uh, and they talk about maybe uh, there will be a day of peace when we can take his letter home. Do we know if he ever received, if Picard ever got that in, in Picard? There, it's not... It's not in Picard the series, um, but there is. Let me find it here. He does deliver. Someone does deliver. Someone that letter does to deliver the letter. His descendants. Yes. It's such a great uh, ending, right? Because you feel I felt his. I did it for nothing so well. The the red eyes. He's not weeping. He's not openly showing the the pain and hurt and, and trauma that he's feeling. But you just you see it in his bloodshot eyes. And it's it's just so heartbreaking, and I, I I felt it along with him. Like fuck yeah, dude, you did you did the right thing, and you still got played, and you still are gonna suffer all of those consequences. And so when they go to his thing, it's like a great, it's a cut right after that. I love that it's that this this episode is so compact in its editing that there is very little uh, fluff here. Uh, but yeah, they go right to it, and it's it's just so heartening. And again, they end the episode without the exit lines that they used to do in episode and seasons one and two. Right. And it just lingers on, on what we were feeling at the end. So beautifully. Jimmy, the delivery of the letter was described in a short story called suicide note in the anthology book, the sky's the limit. So it's actually not considered, uh, it's considered apocrypha, mm. uh, but we can consider it Canon. Cause that's what canon. we do. Canon. Yeah. Well, well, let's let's uh, let's chat about our final thoughts, Greg. You you were giving us some some beautiful thoughts there, but let's talk about our our overall feelings about this episode as a whole. Uh, Eric, we'll start with you. Oh, I give it eight warships of worship. I think it's a really interesting watch. The central performance of James Sloyan is remarkably good. Um, the script, as I've said over and over, keeps me guessing all the way through and the echoes of both history and it turns out future, <laughs> uh, as we watch were kind of astounding. So I, I give it a good eight. Jimmy, what about you? I agree. I'm going to give it a solid eight, almost hugs. And what I mean by that is, uh, I would have given it more, but the Romulan costuming, is so stiff, like you can, those guys can't even move their arms. So even if there were to be a love story between Jarak and Crusher, he never would have been able to hug her. And we all know that Crusher is a hugger. Oh, for her. So it would have left her sort of feeling uh, unfulfilled in that relationship. But uh, everything about it, the surprises, how it they revealed themselves, the misdirections. I absolutely love seeing the Klingons just show up because that is a surprise comeuppance, and I absolutely love comeuppance. Uh, <laughs> not getting them, understand? Just other people. No. Just observing them, watching uh, it, yeah. <laughs> watching comeuppance. <laughs> Wonderful performances all around. Anytime you can see Patrick Stewart uh, say even a couple of lines of Shakespeare, you are pretty lucky. Indeed, indeed. Uh, Mr. Tito. I absolutely love this episode. Uh, as it's been clear me talking about it here, I'm going to give it nine and a half communiques and timetables and information that was fed to Jarek. Uh, I just love the <laughs> echoes of Shakespeare and uh, how all, every way we've been talking about how it flows through here. The references to actual history that was occurring at this time and it was being uh, witnessed by more when he was writing this to the as you said the future history not even just of what's happening in our world right now but all of the stuff that goes on in Picard's history with the Romulans after this it informs that and that storyline that's in uh, the subsequent series and movies to come and so I'm thinking about it in that context too and it's it's just wonderful and the performances throughout as i said the cleanliness of the writing it's just it's wonderful indeed uh i'm gonna give it uh eight and a half 
ship's shields that can apparently um, grow and uh, make a nice kangaroo pouch. Uh, it's a grower. Yep. Uh, it's a it's a great it's a great episode uh, for all of the reasons uh, that we've said. Uh, even though there is no Wesley uh, or no Guinan in this episode, um, it's just really it's solid and it's the writing is so clear and so um, genre embracing like it's it's like there's some really nice world building in here uh that we that will be a touchstone for us in the future which is exactly what you just said greg but i used fancier words to say it really good. uh thank you uh but yeah it's a great episode i like love admirable. it admirable yes admirable <laughs> thank you thank you thank you I'm very proud. Uh, so that is this episode. And uh, we are hoping that you will show, show join us, show, or join us, join us, everyone. Uh, join us for the next episode, The Hunted. Uh, now, if you'll excuse me, these pants will not wet themselves. Or will they? <laughs> admirable. Admirable, admirable. You guys are cute, Alia. We appreciate you for voyaging with us on this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we are continuing on our mission with the next episode of the third season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Re-Engage on Instagram and Twitter at reengagetng to get updates when episodes are published. You can follow our various cultural bridge crew on all of the social medias. Kate Yeager is Yeagerlicious. Eric Gratton is at Eric Falls Down. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Instagram. Reengage is edited by me, Greg Tito. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo 97. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thank you so much for listening. Stand by now as Dr. Beverly Crusher is ready 